You're very welcome to the Firm and Fast Golf Podcast. As always, I'm your golf tragic host, Shane Derby. Every so often you come across a story so compelling that you file it away. Perhaps you might connect with the protagonist or protagonist on LinkedIn. I wonder if the knowledge of said story will ever become anything more than a footnote in one's memory. Well, the time has come to dust down one of these stories. Back in 2010, there were strange murmurings on Facebook with respect to two likely lads from New Zealand who were on an epic adventure. They jacked in their day jobs as attorneys and were attempting to play golf every day for a whole year while traveling around the world and raising money for a very worthy cause in the guise of the First Tee of New Zealand. They were an easy and entertaining follow with their regular updates via YouTube, Facebook and the periodic blog which served in part as travel log and a calling card to the wider golf community who reached out in spades providing golf invites, beds and or couches, hotel rooms, clothing and provisions in equal measure. These adventures were Jamie Patton and Michael Goldstein and I'm very pleased to welcome Michael live from Central Otago, New Zealand for a trip down memory lane in addition to a wander around some great stories and adventures from his trip, what he's been up to since and whatever else tickles our respective fancies. We hope you enjoy the Pure Golf 2010 retrospective. Many thanks for tuning in. Hi, Michael. You're very welcome to the Firm and Fast Golf podcast. It's great to have you on the show. G'day, Shane. Good to be here. I understand that you've had an unwelcome recent visitor to the Goldstein household. COVID-19 struck you down a few days back. I hope it wasn't too nasty. No, not at all. Not at all. No, it's, uh, yeah, it is what it is. We've been pretty um, impacted down here, though, because New Zealand's borders have been fundamentally closed for two years. So um, it feels like a little bit of an anticlimax getting it. All good things come to those who wait. Not, notwithstanding the dose of COVID, how was all in Central Otago, the centre of Pinot Noir viticulture? Yeah, no, it's uh, beautiful. It's beautiful down here in autumn, and everybody should visit it. It's been uh, impacted quite a bit through COVID, um, obviously a bit of a tourism destination. So, um, yeah, but been, I've lived down here for two years now, and um, it's amazing, amazing place. I'm very conscious that the Pure Golf 2010 adventure was some 12 years ago. So you yeah. might give the listeners a quick intro to Michael Goldstein, the who, where, what, as it were. Well, that's a big question. That's a big question. Um, I'm just a golf tragic, really, who once upon a time played a lot of golf for a year. And I struggle to remember it because it's a bit of a, um, it feels like a lifetime ago. Um, but, you know, for me, golf was um, not a huge part of my life, probably akin to many you know, people in Ireland who just grew up playing golf with parents interested in golf. And um, it was very much a third sport for me. So, you know, I'd play with my grandfather and my mom and my dad and um, the odd tournament, but never anything serious. I, you know, I kept a good handicap all, all through my life, single figures, but golf was, you know, the third sport. And when life got in the way, it, it became a, something that I'd do probably half a dozen times a year. Um, so that, that was, you know, my relationship with golf. I'd binge in the summers and family holidays and, you know, play twice a day. And my parents would put me at the golf club, but, um, 
as I got into my working life, it, it very much took a back seat. Um, so then one day my buddy and I probably quite foolishly made a, made a decision that changed all of that and suddenly put my life on a different course, which very much involves golf. You know, the overseas experiences is a rite of passage for many Kiwis. Um, I know that your partner in crime, Jamie, is originally from Scotland, so he'd definitely been overseas. However, I'm interested to know, prior to the Pure Golf 2010 adventure, had you been overseas or was Pure Golf your, your first OE experience? Well, the, 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 my evil little, dirty little secret is that I was actually born in Aussie. So I spent most of my life back and forth between Sydney and Christchurch, which is where my parents are from, respectively. So, you know, crossing the ditch for me was, was very normal. Um, and I traveled a little bit uh, around the US with my family. But outside of that, you know, I spent my early 20s studying and playing sports. So, you know, doing an OE was, was something down the track. So, you know, my year of golf with Jamie was, was an OE, if we're being honest. Like, as, as you say, like all Kiwis, a lot of Kiwis, they do an OE. And for us, we just didn't want to be normal. We didn't want to be those guys that went to London and put on our suits and and, and worked in, in the big, in the, in the city and um, took lots of holidays. We just wanted to kind of do something a bit different. And golf was a bit of a vehicle to do that. I'm keen to explore the initial inspiration for the trip. If memory serves, I believe that the end of season hockey trip to Cape Kidnappers in perhaps 20, 2009 has a lot to answer for. Yeah, yeah, like Jamie and I, we were repressed lawyers and I guess one of the only good things in our life was was playing hockey and you know it was really good camaraderie and on that hockey trip we played golf and like to be honest probably played golf you know five times that year and and we loved it you know playing golf with our mates and we were just being a bit silly and and i said oh why don't we do this every day for a year and um as i said we we're not that happy in our jobs and we were scheming all kinds of different ventures we were clearly going to do something else and in some respects, this was like the path of least resistance because we didn't have to find capital or go into business. We could just go and travel the world and play golf. It kind of felt easier in some respects than, than getting on with with the real life. So you, what you're saying is there was some degree of procrastination or kicking the can down the road? and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think we just weren't in a stage in our lives where we were ready to... We knew we wanted to do something, but we just weren't sure what that was, so... You know, a lot of Kiwis in that position, they go traveling. And our travel just involved golf. So so you posited the idea of playing golf every every day for a year. Mm. How did the seed of an idea for the adventure really germinate and start to take flight? Oh, we just hung out at, at Jamie's place and just spitballed. And we were kind of learning at that stage. You know, we were learning about golf media and golf courses. And we started to get the odd introduction to people. Um, but we were super green, you know, I, I told the story. I used to tell the story a lot when we were in, in that space, but we got an invite one day to Cypress Point and we didn't know what it was. Like the number, whatever, two or three golf course in the world. And um, somebody said, oh, do you want to come and play at Cypress Point? And we were like, oh, sounds good. It's another course that we need to, another, another day checked off. <laughs> it didn't mean that much to us at the time. So we were just kind of feeling it all out and we were just naive and I guess it was beautiful in some respects and um, probably helped us in some respects because well, certainly when we started, it wasn't about 
ticking off you know lists or anything like that it kind of turned out that way though that some of the i mean we'll get to cypress point later on there is a there is a lovely story about about there that i want you to share but obviously i think you started your communications with initially with golf clubs in, in new zealand and australia and you seem to get some some significant traction early doors how yeah. long did it take you before you decided to green light the escapade really and, and start arrangements and, and get the finger out in earnest yeah uh it's probably not a fixed day but we were right to golf clubs around new zealand and they were coming back um you know and the secretaries or the general managers would say yeah we'd love to host you courtesy of the course and and, and um we like what you're doing and every one of those gave us confidence and momentum and we thought okay we've got 20 or 30 courses lined up here we could we could give this a nudge um probably one of the key dates was and now a very good friend of mine um was director of golf at, at Kari cliffs and cape kidnappers and he he wrote to us um i've probably still got the email somewhere and he said why, why don't we start and finish we'll start at Kari and we'll finish at cape we'll support you guys and that was probably one of the last dominoes when we were like Fuck, we've got to do this <laughs> <laughs> So as you said, you started. I mean, I, I, I was. And we will get to my little trip down to New Zealand uh, uh, later on. But I, I was okay. happy, and, and I was, I was, I guess, fortunate to play Cape Kidnappers, which just blew my head off. Obviously, when I was over there, uh, my my bro lived there for a couple of years. Um, okay. Obviously, for those that don't know, it's a dope design Hawks Bay region of New Zealand. Is it twelve k the the driveway is in from the road? It's quite phenomenal through the to the sheep station. Mm, yeah, it's a stunning place. I was there last weekend. Actually, it's where I got COVID. Yeah, you're you're making me feel really jealous. Um, uh, it's the golf course that's been closed for about um, six months. Tom and his, um, I think Angela Moser have been up there doing a bit of reshaping work. So, um, with you know the borders closed, the uh, Robertson family took the time to to make some changes. So it's been closed for quite a while. Okay, so we've established the escapade started and finished at Cape Kidnappers. Just mm-hmm. to fill people in, I guess, just in terms of broad brushstrokes, obviously, you would uh, travel to Australia, I believe, twice, onto the USA, to Scotland, to Ireland, to England, to Wales, to France, maybe passing through Belgium, the Netherlands, the United Arab Emirates, as I say, back to back to Australia before getting home to Aotearoa. It's just phenomenal, I mean, what you, what you managed to accomplish, and obviously all to the benefit of the first team of New Zealand. I guess the first stop I want to sort of bring you back to, I know you organized a game with the great Jack Newton at the Vintage in the Hunter Valley. I incidentally played there back in 06. And remember a mate of mine chasing a black red belly snake across one of the fairways. I don't think that's such a good idea. But uh, a paddy on on tour, what do you expect? What do you remember from the first weeks of the golf trip in in Australia? Maybe what do you remember from that round with with Jack Newton? Um, As yourself and Jamie Reese started to hit your traveling stride. Yeah, yeah, we got to Aussie. We spent the first two months in New Zealand, and it's a bit of a grind at times. Um, quite an adjustment playing golf every day when you're not used to it. Like, you know, we certainly had our ups and downs. It wasn't all it wasn't all roses. Um, when we got to Aussie, it became a bit of an adventure. Um, it was quite a while before we got up to see Jack. It was you know a good kind of two months through our Aussie trip, but. Uh, Jack was an absolute legend, like um, just such a character. And we um, we went and played with him that day at the vintage, and you know, to watch him play golf with one arm was just incredible. And he was struggling a bit, um, 
but then all of a sudden he just rips it you know with a nice draw off the tee and and makes a par with one arm you're just shaking your head going this is mental um but the thing about jack obviously it's not about his his golf these days but he he we played nine holes and he was just hacking it around and then he he said oh let's go in for a let's go in for a for a bourbon or rum or whatever he drank and um we went into the clubhouse after nine holes and started um having some beers and we were probably three or four beers deep and he said well we'll get the next round get the next round and we were like Geez, there's only about an hour and a half daylight left we've got nine holes to play and my, obviously our thing was we had to play a whole whole round every day so we're 100 days into our trip or something we're, we're gonna bugger it up having beers with jack so we said oh we better go and jump in a golf cart and he thought we were joking he was like oh you've played enough golf you know carry on so we jumped in the golf cart and literally just speed golf around nine holes and then came and carried on drinking with him and a couple of hours later his wife came and picked him up and i think we slept in the car park or something. <laughs> <laughs> but i stayed with jack on the way back um because he lives in the newcastle area hunter valley area and um i stayed with him my last few days in, in Aussie and like Jamie actually left the trip for a couple of weeks which wasn't well documented but we had a we had a bit of a set too so I, I had about 15 days of soul searching playing golf by myself and I stayed with Jack during that trip back down from Brisbane to Sydney and um, yeah he put me up at his place and um, unbelievable memorabilia you know you just he's got this because he's a man's man and he's got this big man's room with a bar and we sat there drinking beers and you're looking around the walls at you know when he when he had his accident the whole world rallied around him not just the world of golf but the world of australian sport and it was it was one of those moments that you just pinch yourself when you're like where am i so look jack um subsequently he's been involved in tournament golf which i've got into and i've just got a huge amount of respect for for him and what he's done and he's gone you know he's going through a rough time now so feel for him and his family you know i i think one of the things that strikes me in relation to the journey that you were on back in 2010 is really how the the fraternity of golf if you like reached out to you and certainly that's my impression in terms of i think you were a bit gobsmacked in terms of the, the people you met the offers that you got the home-cooked meals that you were given the the bits of floor that you were given etc etc just people's generosity yeah that's what it was all about like the year for us was not you know golf was a big part of it but we stayed on i think we stayed with 200 different families you know we we made friends with hundreds and thousands of people um playing golf with them you know they share their life you know visiting their house you know they're opening up their doors especially in places like america where it doesn't happen that often um, it was it was what it was all about and you know when we came up with the idea we we thought it would be about the people and it turned out that was 100% you know what it was all about we were naive pretty green 24 year olds and and after a year of staying with all these people in different cultures it was, you know we were definitely changed people were you aware of the the impact perhaps that and, and the reach of that impact that you were having around the world i mean you, you guys were an easy follow obviously blogs on facebook 
YouTube videos, you know, the, the blog he did for stuff.co.nz. You know, it was, it kind of was drip, drip, drip. And it was almost like a, a stone picking up moss going down a hill. Uh, it's very kind saying it. Um, I, I, it's strange to think that 12 years ago was a different age to now, like with social media and everything. Like we were, we were doing it to get by and to tell our mum and dad what was going on, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, whereas like the world's changed now, like I'm on Instagram and you da, 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 da. it's, it, it wasn't all about social media. It was really around um, proving that we'd done it. I'm still alive, mum. <laughs> yeah. yeah, proving that we'd done it, proving that we hadn't gone off on a bender and, and given up on this quest. So the blog was, we wrote a blog, which is old school. Um, and what that meant was generally Jamie would write and I would make videos and try and hash them together using old school iMovie technology. Um, we, yeah, it was it was it was just part of it. it it certainly wasn't trying to commercialize or fuel the thing um whereas like these days it might be a little bit different with with social media i think at one stage just like to put context we had about ten thousand people reading the blog each week so and they're all golfers so it kind of helped we'd get the crazy thing about it we'd get home from a day of golf and we'd have 50 emails inviting us to play golf at different places and we'd just like pinch ourselves how how's this taken on that life of its own kind of thing like only two months ago we were trying to trying to get ourselves onto a golf course somewhere and now we've got all these invites yeah yeah i mean it was just a very compelling story and, and very easily or sorry very easy to i guess get on board with really speaking personally obviously you, you spent spent a few months touring around uh, australia and playing golf obviously the next uh, target was u.s and it's probably fair to say that public access golf is a course available in the USA. However, reviewing some of the trophy courses that G-Boys ended up having in your itinerary, it's fair to say that most of them wouldn't quite fit in the description of Muni Golf. No, we didn't. You might tell us how two boys and a Dodge Ram managed to darken some of the most famous golfing establishments throughout the lower 48 states. Yeah. No, it's, it's a bit crazy, actually. We, we couldn't afford to play Muni Golf, to be honest like we had no cash so for us and being invited to a private club made a lot more sense at the time because the host would pick up the tab um we literally had no money so um it was yeah that that, that was one of the drivers of it in a in an odd way but look we got the dodge we bought it for a couple grand and we drove it right across the states and um if we didn't find somewhere to stay then we'd sleep in the dodge um the US was was mental. Like Americans were so friendly to us too, and it was just crazy humbling. Um, you know, it should it definitely helped. It definitely helped that we started the US on a really high note, and through that we got introduced through a community of networks, um, and and we're very very grateful for those people, particularly the ones that helped us at the start, because it kind of like opened the door for us and. Um, don't take that for granted because I know that it's very difficult to get access to some of those places. No, no, for sure. And I guess the moral of that story is aim high and, and move higher. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you, I think you flew into San Fran originally, did you? Um, and, yeah. and you sort of 
pretty quickly knock off the Cal Club and Harding Park and obviously leaving those in your rearview mirror the Monterey Peninsula was probably next on the on the itinerary we might linger at Cypress Point for a few minutes if you don't mind you yeah. seem to be going pretty well from a, from a memory of a video of yourself and Jamie scooting around um, Cypress Point you seem to be going pretty well from a scoring perspective at one point you might pick up this particular story which your host's explanation on the first tee regarding the local rule that pertains to starting from the first tee at Cyprus? Oh, yeah. Old, I think their driving range is closed maybe in the mornings. And so they just said we can hit off the first tee until we're happy. Um, so I think I took two and then we, we carried on. But it was Sparrows. It must have been, you know, seven thirty, eight o'clock and we were shaking in our boats. And, you know, there was caddies everywhere and, all of these cultural things were like a real shock to us. Um, and the beauty of that place at 7.30 in the morning, you know, the misterizing is just, it's mesmerizing. Um, and I think I was pretty much shaking like most of the way around the front nine, yeah, if not all the way around the front nine, just with just kind of, even though we'd played golf four months in a row, it was just like, wow, this place is unbelievable. But mate, you had it on a string for a, for a long time there, by the looks of it. Yeah, look, by that stage we were playing a bit of golf and it, it definitely helped in the US that we went to the driving range first. Um, we were in pretty good nick as well because in Aussie we we hadn't been overindulging. So yeah, we, were in, we were enjoying our golf at that point and um, I was lucky that day to, to hit the ball quite well and... Um, it was just one of those otherworldly days, Shane, you know, where you just grateful for for everything. And um, unfortunately, I started looking at the scorecard towards the end of the round and buggered it all up. But, you know, this I can still remember 12 years on every single shot that I hit that day. Wow, that says a lot for how you played, but also the, the location and where you played it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you moved onwards to LA, Arizona, Texas, New Orleans, Florida, the Carolinas, obviously Harbour Town, Charleston Country Club, Pinehurst Number no. 2, and Kiwa Island, closely followed by Marion, Pine Valley, Beth Page, Shinny, and NGLA. To be clear, we're only scratching the surface with the name drops. Hopefully, through some sort of name association and recognition there, you might be able to share an experience or two with regard to some of those places I just mentioned. Oh, that's a big question. I just just pick just pick just just yeah. just pick one or two. I mean, I'm not looking actually, for it. Look, not. Yeah, no, it's all good. We didn't actually play Pinehurst too. We we went through Pinehurst, um, but we we couldn't get onto two, which is fine. And subsequently, gone back. Amazing place. Done amazing things at that resort. Um, we went up to like the, obviously the end of the trip. We're up in in Long Island, which is unbelievable for golf. Um, for us at that time, it wasn't unbelievable for, for, um, getting hosted. So we were very much living in dodgy, uh, our van. So like we parked up at Montauk out on the end, end of the peninsula and we slept in our car out there and we'd wake up no showers. So we'd jump in the ocean. Um, and I remember that day, like we'd had a really ropey sleep, uh, jump in the ocean to wake up and then we played both Shinnecock and national golf links in one day and then we reverted back to dodgy to sleep again in our car so it was just kind of an insight of this double life that we were living we were essentially you know sleeping out of the car on one hand and then playing these amazing golf courses by day so um yeah it was 
it was incredible um we got heaps of we met a group of people up there as well in the northeast that um we met them through uh, essentially like a boys group and um, one of their couple of their fathers had been killed in 9 11 um and they kind of brought us in as part of their group and we played with about half a dozen of them maybe more um and it was really interesting just understanding a little bit of the culture up there and the impact from 9 11 um and i guess because they all knew each other when we played with them um there was almost like this sense of like old friend it wasn't like we were meeting a new person every day even though we were um and look they all took us to amazing places but i remember that kind of thread uh running through that part of the trip more than more than anything yeah and we've stayed in touch with them and when we got back they actually invited us to a 10 year on anniversary at a place called secession golf club and jamie and i still didn't have any money but we flew back to the states and and went to this event with them um and it was it was incredible so we stay in touch with a few of those people and um some of them have come out to new zealand and jamie also has been across to, to new york to see them and um yeah they were a big part of our trip you managed to flip dodgy i believe at a profit yeah before you headed off uh, to scotland via iceland gatwick and uh Edinburgh, I think, pretty circuitous route to get to Scotland. But uh, you made a six hundred and fifty dollar uh, profit on on the on the Dodge the Dodge yeah. van. That's yeah. great. That's great work. Great work. Uh, and we were we were so buggered because we were really tied up at that point. Um, and yeah, when we sold it, we had this cash. I think we had like three thousand dollars, and but we didn't want to waste in the next four days before we flew out. And without a car, for us, we were we were in trouble because we needed to get drive to the golf courses and um we literally turned up at this golf club the creek club um and we had an entire van filled with golf memorabilia and all crap and as much as we tried to tidy it up and bring it to the golf club in an orderly fashion we were a shambles so we turned up at the creek club with 25 bags you know shoe bags with you know cypress point shoe bag filled with crap and this one filled with crap and and the the, the staff at the creek club just looked at us and were like what the hell like <laughs> who's descended and we've slept in our car for two nights we look like shit um and here come the bogans <laughs> yeah yeah are we letting these guys into our club and you know they said they were so gracious they sent us into the locker room and, and our host who we hadn't met we were meeting him at the club at the club um he just said look just chill out he said just leave it with me and he gave us a cocktail and it was probably like 11 in the morning and he said, just leave it with me. And he ended up having us stay at his house until the end of our trip and just made the last four days in the States work really well. Um, right. So it was, uh, <laughs> it, was a, we were, it was an important part of our trip and, and he really helped us. Yeah, so onwards to Scotland. Royal Troon, Castle Stewart, Royal Aberdeen, Cruden Bay, North Berwick, Muirfield, Macrahanish, in no particular order. Jamie was, of course, back home at this point. Yeah. How was the welcome for the aforementioned Phileas Fogg, as it were, and his passport to Mr. Goldstein? <laughs> uh, Jamie, it, it was it was a real uh, one of the great times of my life being over there with Jamie. To be honest, um, 
yeah he it was so cool to be like with one of your best mates in their home but not just for a boys weekend you know we we had four months driving around your part of the world and like his oldest family friends gave us their mercedes for four months this old mercedes but that, that was the great us, the great mercedes yeah you brought to ireland as well yeah there we called it the tank and you know it was just so special to meet these old family friends of jamie's and they all welcomed us into their houses and they were fully behind our trip and like it was really powerful to be honest um and like the memories of finishing that because we had four months up there and finishing that trip i just did a some work uh some feedback for jamie on his professional development and i said i've never seen you happier than than that at the end of that four months when we were giving the car back and spending time with his family friends and his family were there as well and you know it was really really special from a from a homecoming perspective jamie had been away from scotland for 10 years and you know i think more than anything it was just a privilege to be able to see his town his his country um alongside him yeah you went on to I think you, you had a stopgap in Ireland before you got back to Scotland at some point. But again, links Junkies, nothing wrong with that. Port Stewart, Royal County Down, La Hinch, Ballyliffin, Port Marnock, Royal Dublin, with a smidgen of Parkland thrown in for good measure at Mount Juliet and Kevin Markham's favourite at Drew's Glen. I know yeah. the last course you played was my own home course at Royal Dublin. I do seem to remember that you were somewhat crestfallen, wall-fallen, and, and many other fallens by the time you met at the Dolly Man for an early morning pre-ferry tea time. Not helped by the dodgy tummies and the incessant rain that arrived for your back nine adventures. I know you were uh, probably self-medicating with alcohol and all sorts of stuff at, at that stage to try and forget about the blisters on your feet. Do you remember anything about Ireland? Oh, just, just pure joy. <laughs> the photos tell a pretty bad story for me because I put on about 12 kilos in a month. And it was all based down to the black stuff. Um, we started Ireland. Uh, we we took the ferry into Belfast with the car, and um, Jamie's family's from Northern Ireland as well. His dad's from Northern Ireland, so we had the most incredible game of golf, um, probably of his life at at County Down. Whereas his grandfather had been a member for fifty years before he moved out to New Zealand. We played with two of his old buddies, and they would have been in the eighties. And these guys were part of a four ball with. Jamie's granddad like every Saturday for 40 years or 50 years or something so we played with them at at Newcastle and like that was just one of the spiritual games of golf of our year um I remember that like I remember Cypress Point um from there we traveled in a um counterclockwise direction and so the start of the trip through like we played Port Rush and we went around to Ballyliffin and um down the west coast it was just unbelievable the the spirit of the Irish, like, you know, <laughs> you probably saw the video, but we ended up in the ocean at, at Ballyliffin after having a bet with the club captain. Um, you know, we just had this absolute blinder in La Hinch the night before our, no, Ballybunion the night before our game there, where the locals took us out drinking and, and <laughs> the night before. And the next day we turned at the golf club, we pretty much met everybody already in the pubs. Um, just the spirit and the golf in Ireland was, was mind blowing. Um, I love, you know, the whole thing going back to Scotland was, I had no knowledge or understanding of Lynx golf. So it was this big awakening for me. 
and I just I love it it's it's golf to me it's you know it's everything that I love about the game now and in Ireland it just kind of crescendoed and I think that when we were in La Hinch and Ballybunion it was about as you know one of the real pinnacles of our trip both socially people we met but also the golf it's just crazy stimulating and you look Ireland was so wet it, out of 30 days it probably rained 18 and our car was filled with wet clothes it stank you know we were starting to become like really unhealthy <laughs> because we were drinking too much Guinness and <laughs> eating too many fried breakfasts and all of our clothes are wet and it was really it was becoming a real struggle but it was so much fun um by the time we got all the way around to your part of the world chain we were we were at sixes and sevens we were at absolute shambles. and I, I guess at least you had something to hang on to back then the the, the all blacks still still haven't been beaten by ireland it yeah, has happened no, a few like, times uh, since no we we if, if there's one team the all blacks could lose to it's ireland bloody great to watch well, you're very kind. You're very kind. It had to happen sooner rather than later. But I, I did hear it. I did hear a Kiwi basically saying before it happened. Well, I wouldn't want to be on that team that that, that happened to. It's happened a few it would times. Have been now, the so. most fun day in Chicago that day. You know, like no, no, even even Absolutely. for the Kiwis, like it would have been fun. Absolutely. Well, look, you went on to uh, by ferry to Wales. I believe you played Southern Down. You may have got a, an old ticket for the Ryder Cup from Stevie Williams at the swamp also known as celtic manor uh you, t- you thought it was wet in ireland it was pretty bloody wet though, but wet over there yeah yeah that was a bad week for for the uh for the Ryder cup guys that um but there was a hell of a lot of people there we were right on the on the green on the i think it's the 16th or 17th hole when that hunter man flubbed his chip shot and lost to graham mcdowell and there was probably fifteen thousand people on the bank and mud everywhere but it was a wicked atmosphere um steve williams uh, was a huge supporter of ours throughout the year and he got us tickets to the Open at St Andrews back in July and then he also got us tickets to um, to Celtic Manor. Manor. It was a crazy story really because we we turned up at the player's entrance and by then our, our car had lost a window so we just had a plastic sheet over the side of it and these, you know, there's only, there's only 24 players and the caddies and their wives kind of going up there and um, we turned up and we're like, yeah, you know, we've got a ticket up there. Um, and they thought we were meant to. Sure you do. <laughs> and they said, oh, it's, it's under Mr. Woods or Mr. Williams, we said. And then they said, it's not under Mr. Williams. And we said, try Mr. Woods. And I think it was, un- <laughs> you know. So they let us up. We got up to the clubhouse there, jumped out of the car, and, and they they valet parked our car, which was in a window missing. And then... We got escorted down into the into the golf course, missing security. We're the only people in Celtic Manic that day with with the big camera, apart from media. And um, at the end, we got the shuttle back to the players players hotel and and drove away, missing the missing the traffic. It was um, it was a bit crazy actually. Now knowing what I know about events, unbelievable. And you probably walked around Michael Jordan or something like that. There was a few people in the um, in the foyer of of the clubhouse when we walked in there for sure yeah yeah so no but wales was fun um we were just there for a couple of days but um we went right down through the west coast of england uh, and we had a lot of fun in bristol and we had jamie's some of jamie's friends there um one of the key things that happened through that part of the trip was 
well, a couple of key things happened. Um, but we, we were joined by one of our buddies called Bart DeFreeze, who's actually visiting me tomorrow um, on his honeymoon. But he um, he joined us as a third person, and that took a little bit of the load off us, both our relationship with each other, which was fraught at times, and um, but also with our hosts, because he brought a lot of energy to the table when we were you know, 250 plus days in and we were getting pretty tired. So he was he was a big part of our last four months. Um, another thing that happened was I lost my grandfather. Um, so, you know, that was kind of tricky for me too, just to deal with that, being away, not coming home. You know, my parents were actually, they'd come out for a holiday, been two or three weeks with us and they had to cut that short. So, you know, there's those kinds of like life events that you miss when you're on the road. It's no different to anybody doing their, their OE. Um, but for us, there was no option of cutting short the trip and going home. Yeah, sorry to hear that, mate. Oh, it's fine. It's 12 years ago. He lived a great life, which I won't go into. It's another podcast. Absolutely. But look, obviously, we'll come back to England in a sec, but I know you were you went to France and you played golf to Morfontaine and Chanty. Yep. I'd like to know, is Morfontaine as good as they say it is? Yeah, like it's just one of those places that oozes class. Um, it's, um, you know, just the elegance of the routing, walkability, the consistency, I guess what Mackenzie would say, the finality of design. But, you know, there was a few changes made there and uh, maybe that's a little bit jarring. But it's just one of those places that oozes class, I suppose, only as French can. Um, what probably sticks in my mind even more than the main course is the is the Valier course, the nine the nine hole course. Probably pronounced that wrong, but I think nine hole courses are super cool, and that place is, stands out on pedestal, you know, in terms of fun greens, the the quirky nature of the routing and par threes and short par five and just bold, bold, bold. It's one of those places that. You can't go to the North Fontaine and not play, not play the nine hole course. It's 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 everything that golf should be. Obviously, both designed originally by Tom Simpson, but I believe the the big course, if you like, has been the greens certainly have been softened. I know the Valier nine are the original greens. Are they completely different in character, if you like, to the big course? Um, I didn't know that. I I knew that some of the was, was it um. Was it Donald Steele? Could be. You you may know a little bit more. I, I certainly know that the Valier have the original grains. Yeah, nothing was particularly jarring. Um, it was just that the Valier grains were just that much sharper and funkier. And they really, you know, when you're playing as much golf as we were, they, they really made you stop and go, wow, that's so cool. Um, and and I, I guess all the great courses did that. And, and that was one of those, and certainly the, the short course that made us stop and, and really walk around the greens two or three times rather than just walk off to the next tee. Obviously, nearby is the Netherlands. And as you said, you were joined by a mate, Bart de Vries, for, for that and subsequent months, if you like. Bart was a physio. Was he much in need in terms of just rub downs and generally getting knots out of people's backs and necks at that point in time? Uh, he was bloody useless, to be honest. He just... Um, he just brought a lot of energy to the table. He uh, often went missing for a couple of days. Um, 
we'd find him in the pubs with our business cards telling our story, pretending to be Jamie or I, and then we'd see him a couple of days later. <laughs> Shouldn't say these stories, but I am. Um, but uh, he was wicked. He brought a lot of energy to the table and it's what we needed. Um, and, you know, we're all three of us are great mates to this day. So um, Bart's Dutch and Jamie and Bart subsequently played hockey together in Holland. Um, you know, the golf in Holland was was really cool. Um, some awesome links courses out there. Um, you know, if you if you class Kenemar as a, as, as a links course, it's, it's a really elegant, cold course. Um, you know, Nordvik's on some incredible land. Um, and I just really enjoyed the different culture there because it's not quite as, um, you know, it's not quite the same culture as the English and, and Scottish and Australian, New Zealand cultures. It's just a little bit different again. I guess before you started the adventure, you probably didn't know there was much Lynx golf on offer in the Netherlands. Was it a surprise to you, the, the quality and the quantity of it over there? Yeah, look, before before the year started, golf in Holland didn't ever feature in the same sentence. Um, Holland was just, because we had friends there and it was about about having fun. Um, but now we know that it's a great golfing destination. There's a lot of, um, I've subsequently been back and played um, Royal Haig and um, probably one of the real top ones on my bucket list is Depan, which I haven't been out to. Um, and I've got a really good buddy who's managing uh, Eindhoven Golf Club so I know they've done some work down there. I'm I'm really keen to to see to see that. Obviously, you know their influence from from Colt and, and Holland is is really strong. And you know back in 2010, a little bit over our heads. It was it wasn't really the focus. It was about having a different experience. But now from a golfing perspective, I, I, I'm I'm hopefully going back there next month actually, and I'm looking forward to playing a couple of new courses. I think you passed through Belgium also obviously you would have done to, to get from France to uh, the Netherlands yeah however I guess the place where the main tourist attraction is the Man in Capice which is a small bronze figure pissing into a fountain hardly warrants much much of a question in all seriousness I'm sure Belgium is great for golf and they even have some good golf courses I've yet to have the pleasure did you play golf in Belgium or was it just a, a piss stop for, for want of a better word it was we played on the on the way down to, to Paris um, but we didn't stay a night but it was like just like most places one of those times where a local guy who'd been following our trip he, he met us took us for a walking tour around um around brussels and then um took us out and we played golf together so you know we got a nice little experience which um the golf was i, I don't remember much of the golf course but uh but we had a lovely day yeah perfect well then back to england so sunningdale royal Lytham, all woodley and again, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping all over the place here. The Belfry, the Sutton Coalfield, which probably has two good holes, to be fair. That's about it. Yep. Uh, Woburn, St. George's, New Zealand with Fitzy. Sean Fitzpatrick, the ex-captain of the All Blacks. We'll come back to that in a second. Roy Sankport, Rye, Walton Heath, Berkshire, Birkdale, Rowan, Lord Devon. Busy gentleman and blighty. What do you remember about your round with Sean Fitzpatrick? I know he's a member in New, in New Zealand. Aye, we played the New Zealand club, which... Um there's a there's a beautiful place. I think it's had some recent work done um, over the last few years from um, from uh, Frank Pont and and, and Mike DeFries actually. Uh, it's just you know it's one of those Heathland Surrey courses that just oozes charm. You know we had a wicked lunch, um, a few wines, you know great company, incredible company, um, and for us it was a 
you know, playing with Fitzy is like playing with a rock star of New Zealand. So it was a, another otherworldly day. Um, the golf course is, it's one of those places that doesn't feature on ranking lists, but you know, if I was growing old, I don't know if there's a better place. Well, there probably is a better place, but it's just one of those members clubs, which you just wouldn't tire of playing. Not at all. Um, yeah, it was, it was a cool experience. The whole Heathland was, was new for us. It's, it's almost like a different uh, variety of golf, you know, with, with the heather and, you know, the, just the nature of it all. And uh, it's probably one of the areas that I don't understand too well yet. Um, and I'd like to go back and, and play, play a few courses there regularly. Um, because I don't feel like I understand, you know, the genius of places like Sunningdale and Welton Heath. Um, but just aesthetically, culturally, the experience, it was, it was mind blowing. Great. Well, it was, it was on to Dubai then for a bit of night golf and you hooked up with one Henrik Stenson, who I believe shot 29 blows around wherever you played in Dubai. I'm interested to know how that happened. Yeah. Not, not as 29, but how you got hooked up with him. Yeah. We, we, for us, like the challenge was getting home because we we're fighting, we had to fly and then we had um, losing time zone as well. So the concept of traveling was in playing golf was kind of tricky, but then when you're losing multiple hours in the air as well, it's really tricky. So we ended up getting this, this, this guy contacted us called Chris Turlick, who's from Scotland. Um, well, he's actually English, but he lives in Scotland. And at the time he was organizing the golf tournaments in Dubai. And he essentially just put out an itinerary for us of like nine days and nailed it all. And he was buddies with Henrik and he organized for us to play with Henrik Stenson for, for nine holes. And we played the other nine just for us. Um, and he, Henrik Stenson is obviously a ripping, ripping guy, super funny. And we were giving him so much shit, which I don't know if he expected. He'd like dropped out of the world rankings at that time. And we were kind of calling him washed up and, uh, we're calling him Danish and da, 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 da. we were being real little, little um, cheeks and he turned around and shot 29 and, and all we could do was applaud. I've stayed in contact with him actually and uh, ripping guy. Awesome to see that he's going to captain the Ryder Cup. No, no, for sure. He seems to have a, a wicked sense of humour. Yeah, he does. He, he's a funny, funny man. Obviously that comes through and, um, for fans watching the tour, but now Dubai was wicked. Um, we, we finished that, that nine days or 10 days with, um, golf under floodlights at, um, at the Emirates club in Dubai. So we started at midnight and, um, as we played each hole, the ground staff came around behind us and turned the lights off and, um, we finished at about 2am and pretty much went to the airport and flew out at 6am and managed to get all the way to Perth and, Play the next day so it was um it was this huge question for us the whole year was how we were going to get back back down to the southern hemisphere with long flight without missing a day of golf and um this chap chris turlick and the team at the emirates golf club made it all happen it was pretty humbling to think back of, of what they did for us brilliant well you you literally turned the lights out at the emirates golf club yeah yeah no, it was it was special so obviously into Perth and I think on this particular leg and I'm gonna I, I'm gonna ask you a strange question but we, we'll just look at it. so obviously you played some golf in Perth and then on to Adelaide Royal Adelaide Glenelg 
along Melbourne, Kingston Heath, Commonwealth, Yarra Yarra, Victoria, Royal Queensland, I think, was on the previous uh, iteration, Barnbogle uh, Dunes and Lost Farm. What did you make of Adelaide from a golfing perspective? Um, we were in Adelaide at the start of the year, so um, our golfing education was in its infancy then. Um, at the time, there was this huge furore going on about Royal Adelaide because they'd had one hole um, redesigned by, by Mike Clayton. Um, what do I make of Royal Adelaide or Adelaide as a golfing destination? I think, I think it's blessed with some great attributes. It's got great land. It's, I think the scale of the, of the dunes and the, the landforms is, is perfect for golf. Um, it's not too extreme. Um, it's got this beautiful sea breeze that comes in. Um, and it's got some golf courses in incredible spots. Look, we didn't play Kiyonga, so I can't comment on that. We played two courses at, um, at the Grange played Royal Adelaide, played Glen Elk. Um, look, the golf's, the golf could be better. Um, and, uh, I think, yeah, I think the golf could be a bit better, but it's still very, very good. And I think Royal Adelaide is a, is a classy little place with a great routing and the, the stretch of holes there, three, four, uh, even three, four, five, six, all the way through to 11, uh, is one of the greatest stretches of golf in the world and i think adelaide royal adelaide belongs in the world top 100 but it could be better so you make it home finally to new zealand and juicy car rentals hook you up with uh, some sort of a mobile to circumnavigate the remainder of i don't know was it the north island or the south island at the time or a bit of both there was an inter-island ferry involved there somewhere yeah. um we will be revisiting the New Zealand uh, uh, golf destination in a little while, but yep. it must have been some relief to get get back home. Yeah, it was it was awesome to get home. Um, we both had, well, I had, a, we both started the year with long term girlfriends, and I still had mine at that stage. Jamie didn't, um, so seeing her was a big part of that. Um, also seeing family and friends, um, and it was a it was a wicked time because friends would come and join us and um, we were in a different space than we had been 10 months ago where we were, you know, just trying to get by. Everything was difficult. Travel was difficult. We kind of had our heads around the whole life on the road piece. So uh, enjoyed it. Certainly some doors opened up that, um, that were pretty cool. Like our experience in Queenstown was out of this world and finishing the year at, at Cape Kidnappers, we had, 30 or 40 friends join us and it was a really special time because I think the emotional and physical toll out of the year um, was real. Um, everybody says it was just like this fairy tale year of golf, which it was on paper, but you know, the relationship between Jamie and I was fraught at times and um, it just took so much energy every night, giving yourself to, to families and, and trying to be open. And at the end of the year, we were we were emotional and we were tired, and um, it was really cool to have our family there for us to to support us. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a beautiful year of a month of my life. Yeah. So, a couple of quick questions, just in relation to the the whole year, if you like. So, the best day. I'm I'm kind of thinking maybe it was Shinny Shinny and National, maybe it was Pine Valley, maybe it was New York Field, maybe it was Queenstown, maybe it was Melbourne, or perhaps something else. Yeah, that's a good question. We had one of the best days at West Hampton Golf Club in in Long Island where these guys 
um, kind of set it upon a, on themselves to say this is going to be the best day of your year, and they they did a pretty bloody good job to be honest. Um, so I'd say West Hampton's up there. Um, clearly, from a golf perspective, we did we did a couple of days like National and Shinnecock and thirty six holes at Sunningdale, which which were which were really cool. Um, but it's probably also quite hard to go past Cypress Point. Yeah, particularly when you have most of it on video as well. You can always <laughs> have you have you have you watched it recently? No, I haven't. No, it just makes me it's look still old. There. Still old when I watch it. Yeah, you were pretty fresh faced. It must be said. Yeah, now we were young looking twenty four year olds. So, uh, it was there was so many good days. Um, it's actually difficult. It's a very difficult um, question to answer. Um, but you know we were. We were blessed, like we were so lucky. So what was the best view or the best reveal after a blind shot that you can remember? Yeah, no, good question. Really good question. I love walking over the Alps at Presswick. Okay. 17. Yeah. Is that yeah, that's the Alps. You like your golf sporty self? Oh, hundred percent. Uh the sportier the better. Okay, and what would you say to somebody that doesn't like blind golf shots? You're missing out. You're not speaking to one, by the way. Yeah, you're, you're missing out. Absolutely. Uh, how many times do you walk up to the crease? And you're like, is it in the hole? Yeah. Um, you know, the re- best round of golf of my year was actually at the Macri before it got bombed. And uh, I shot two under par, and I think there's 17 blind shots on that course. But... Yeah, obviously people say a hole's only blind once, but I also think that the great golf architects, when they design blind holes, they do it in a way that makes you kind of instinctively know where to go. You know, often it's over the center of a saddle. So, you know, it's quite rare for there to be like obscure blind shots, like the Cruden hole, Cruden Bay um, par three, the first one, is it uh, 14 or 15? Yeah. Um, you know, when you're hitting over like the side of the hill, often they're kind of quite intuitive where to go and um uh, i find i I just think they're they're brilliant best clubhouse grub oh you can't go past muirfield really can you you'd have to have a few carrots with that then so yeah not good for my uh not good for my physical health but um yeah muirfield's pretty awesome clubhouse experience isn't it i've yet to have the pleasure but um but yeah, I can I can well imagine that. Uh, did you get the the whole day in there or just one round? Yeah, we did the um, we did the whole day there. Um, I've been back subsequently, so that's maybe why I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I love that place. It's uh, you know that sporty golf, foursomes golf, play quickly, enjoy your time in the clubhouse, and then get back into the elements. It's um, it's pretty cool. Best airline used? I'm assuming you're not going to say EasyJet. There wasn't a lot of airlines used, um, but on our year of golf, uh, if you'd asked me this 12 years ago, I would have said in New Zealand 100% because um, they upgraded us. And uh-huh. we realized that the flight from Auckland to San Francisco is kind of easy. Um, and 12 years on, I can still say in New Zealand the best by a mile. Yeah, no, I'd I'd have to concur with that. My uh, limited experience with Air New Zealand, it's it's top notch. And also, it's a home airline, right? So we home comforts. Ah, oh, for sure, 
for sure. Um, look, I just want a, f- a few special mentions. We've already obviously touched on your interactions with Jack Newton and Stevie Williams. Mm-hmm. I'd like to special mention to Mr. Sabino or the Slambino. Yeah. What a swing he has. It's like an octopus falling out of a tree. Yeah. Uh, a man that's played, I think at this stage, all of the top 100 golf courses in the world. How did you get hooked up with John? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But geez, he's a huge part of our trip. I hadn't mentioned him. I was going to mention him, but we stayed with him uh, in New Jersey. Played three or four games with him there. Actually, no, we only played one or two games with him there, but he then said, stay in, a, stay in my house because it's empty. So him and his family were on holiday and he just said, here's the key, which for somebody that you didn't, only met once it was crazy and then he flew over and played more fontaine with us and had one night one night only in paris um with his buddy chris so he he was such a kind awesome supporter of ours um he put jamie and I on a pedestal which was completely unnecessary but i just think he liked the he liked the adventurous part of what we were doing and he obviously liked the golf part too um he came to New Zealand about three months after the trip finished. Um, he came to Wellington, Jamie and I were living there and we got the white overalls out and caddied for him and his, his mates. And it was so cool having, having him down under, um, subsequently, you know, seen him two or three times in the States. And, um, in fact, this week, uh, Augusta week, a few years ago, we had dinner together. He's a ripping guy. He's one of the great guys in the, in the golfing community. Terrible golf. Swimmer. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> there's proof on the YouTube channel. But loves his golf, which is the main thing. Yeah. I honestly don't think you guys realize how inspirational your journey actually was, even still to this day. I mean, it, you're very, very modest and very self-deprecating. And, you know, it was inspirational in terms of just how you did it. And, and it's just interesting to scratch the surface and, and understand that you were kind of winging it at the start. But I think, you, you know, I think it changed your life, though, in many ways. Yeah, it, it has. Um, I finished, I finished the year and it's kind of like a bit of depression from, um, you know, not, not playing golf the next day. Like, what do you do instead? Um, but I think once the, it took, it took me a long time for the, for the dust to settle, but I think that I realized that golf, I wanted golf to be part of my life. So, um, yeah, I've been on a bit of an adventure since then and, and golf's been there or thereabouts the whole time and 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 that's a complete change from, you know, the start of this conversation, which golf was just a just a part time hobby or part time activity. Adrian Logue of the Good Good Golf Podcast talks about an eyes up as opposed to eyes down approach to playing and enjoying golf. I'm assuming you're now more eyes up as opposed to eyes down, and I'm keen to understand if that's true how your appreciation and perhaps understanding of the game of golf has evolved over the course of the uh, Pure Golf 2010 trip and subsequently since then? Yeah, that's a massive question. And my my whole attitude to golf changed. Um, and I, I, I probably think that would happen to most people doing what we did. Um, I'll give you some examples. One is that I kept score at start of the trip diligently. Um, and... You know, there was always a tension between Jamie and I, a competitive tension. And over the course of the year, I stopped keeping score. So we, every day on our blog, we would say we had X amount of shots, and birdies, and whatever. And by about September, October, I just, I just didn't care. <laughs> you know, it was, 
you know, I'd like to win a match against Jamie or against whoever we were playing with. But the last thing I wanted to do was to write down our score. Um, and, I, and I haven't kept score really since. Like, I don't really keep handicap anymore. I, I like to play match play and we'll just organise shots on the first tee, a couple shots here or there. Um, so my whole attitude to the game and, and the relationship between golf and competitiveness has changed. Um, you know, I think competitiveness is healthy, but it's not, it's not the be all and end all. And I guess when you take competitiveness out of the equation, then you open up the space for other things, the environment, the sky, you know, the shots, the creativity. Um, and I just think that it deepens the relationship that certainly I have with the game golf by moving into those spaces. Um, I think that for me, golf's, it's kind of like a true love where, you know, when you love something, then you want to learn about it more and more and more. And you want to love every part of it, whether that's, um, you know, the history of, of design or if it's, you know, the professional game or if it's, if it's golf courses or, you know, and even administrators, like I've got this deep love of golf where I'm leaning into kind of every corner of it. And, you know, that's, I feel like I'm quite fortunate to have embraced that and, and had that throughout the year. And I'm, I'm quite grateful for certain people that kind of open the door or just creak the door open a little bit into some of those spaces of the game. You know, I, I really remember um, staying with somebody who started talking about the golf swing, the evolution of the golf swing with the change of technology. And, and that just went way over my head, but it just kind of stuck with me. And then I started to pay a little bit of attention. So just like conversations like that throughout the year, which just opened up the game and, you know, I've still got infinite amounts to learn, but it's a pretty cool game. It is. And that pit is bottomless in terms of be it history, be it uh, course design, be it any of those other elements. And in many ways, you know, it's so certainly it's a journey I've been on as well, as you can probably understand and um, embrace it embrace it but I, I actually find by giving up control and not really caring it actually opens that space to play a little bit better potentially as well at times yeah but it's more about having fun and, and hitting the shot and getting the getting the endorphins from actually seeing a shot and hitting the shot rather than and, and actually if you don't manage to do it who cares it doesn't matter yeah that's right um that whole you know these days for me if if i play a golf course with like three exhilarating shots you know, that's, I'd rather do that than play 18 goodish holes, you know, just one or two of those exhilarating shots just, just brings those endorphins to me. And, um, that's, yeah, that's what I love. Uh, just bringing you back ever so quickly to the, the end result of the year away and your efforts for the first tee of New Zealand. I believe that you raised over 35,000 New Zealand dollars. Congratulations. First of all. Um, I'd like to understand if you know what the money was used for. That's a good question. Um, there wasn't like a specific project that it was used for. Um, the first tee, uh, I didn't mention at the start of this call, but you know, it's obviously a global golfing charity, and it was in it was in New Zealand and in, in South Auckland, and it had this facility with a driving range and two two golf professionals, and there was hundreds of kids going through there and. For those that don't know about the first tee, it's not just about teaching them golf, it's about teaching them life skills. And 
you know, one of the most impactful things when you go to a first tea facility anywhere in the world is the kids will come up to you, they'll shake their hand, shake your hand and say, hi, I'm Michael and look you in the eye and um, engage you in conversation, which is quite confronting when it's like a seven or eight year old. Um, but it's all about highlighting those, those skills from golf that, that help you in life. And, you know, the first tee just aligned with us from day one. Um, the first tee chapters around the world helped us with some connections, uh, particularly in the US. Um, and when we got back, it was great to, I think it was just a little bit over 40 grand that we raised for the New Zealand chapter. Um, but I can't, can't say any specific thing. First tee in New Zealand, like many charities, you know, struggles to, struggled to get funding. And ultimately it was wound up. Uh, about three or four years ago here um, which was a real shame but certainly continued going through until you know probably um, yeah three or four years ago and I think we probably contributed a little bit to that. As I say well done for your efforts it, it was um, I'm sure put to very very good use. I know we, we skipped over the New Zealand part of the adventure predominantly so I could have a chat to you about my experiences in New Zealand but also your own my brother lived in Windy Wellington for a number of years and I was very fortunate to make a number of trips to your wonderful country. Oh, cool. Since I was last in the land of the long white cloud, there's been a plethora of recent developments through Windross Farm, Tara Eadie, the north and south courses at Tayarai. I know the Corn Crenshaw course is finished pretty much and Tom Doak, Angela Moser and Clyde Johnson are currently in the midst of design and build of the south course adding to obviously a support cast that includes cape kidnappers carry cliffs jacks point kinlock and old favorites of mine such as wairaki tilarangi and alex russell's worldy at paraparam which i believe you were a member of at one point in time obviously arrowtown as well which would you believe is one that got away despite spending two days in okay. queenstown and and playing jacks point and the hills i didn't play arrowtown i okay. gotta go back yep yeah what advice would you proffer to the international golfer in terms of organizing a golf trip to new zealand yeah i'd actually say bring your bring your bring your wife or bring your husband and make it about more than golf because new zealand is is about more than golf and don't rush um that's probably the main thing i'd say if you hear if you're just coming on a golf trip specifically then um it's you've got different options you know this new zealand landscape is going to change with these two new courses at tro called greenshaw and, and dog course and if you can get on get access to tata Eti as well you're going to have three absolute world beaters probably world beaters up there um all really accessible to each other the challenge with new zealand is that geographically the golf the great golf is quite um disparate so if, if you're looking for those top five or six courses then there's a bit of travel around new zealand and that's why i say take your time and enjoy enjoy what the country has to offer you need you need, surely need six weeks really to see the place properly uh, or, or 16 years well that too <laughs> 16 years and, yeah. a, and a visa <laughs> need, need another uh, pandemic two years without working bring it on yeah, yeah. Uh, well <laughs> every every cloud and all that one um <laughs> Come here. I, I, look, I mean, needless to say, the scenery in New Zealand, I mean, even the scenery in the North Island is pretty spectacular in terms of the Tongariro crossing and whatever else. But 
really once you get down to the south island i re recall first time flying from wellington down to queenstown and it's a pretty that's a pretty hairy descent into queenstown in terms of final approach and whatnot with the remarkables literally right on top of you the scenery down the south south island is just absolutely phenomenal the southern alps are just just stunning and i guess coming from australia as i was at the time or haven't seen seen australia in, in close proximity you know you can be at the top of the glacier down at the beach in about half an hour which obviously and you have so much more contrast very very quickly in new zealand where i guess australia is just so much bigger and you got to travel so much farther to actually get that contrast yeah absolutely yeah we've got you could as the story goes you can ski and, and play golf down here in the same day um yeah. but it's also down in the south island's a great climate for golf the, the grass is is great for firm and fast golf um yeah there's a great weather there's some real things in our favor for golf down here a bit like ireland yeah and, and to be fair it's not as if it doesn't rain there either so so just i just i, I know you said earlier on that it rained 18 days of 30 in ireland but it does rain in new zealand as well every now and then maybe not so much during the summer but not where I've moved to, everywhere. No, certainly Canterbury, Canterbury Plains and, and Central Otago, it's pretty pretty bone dry during the summer. Uh, I'm an hour away from Queenstown, um, and we get only a quarter of the rainfall here. So I'm in uh, essentially the most inland part of uh, the South Island, which is almost desert-like, but um, everywhere else it's, it's normal rainfall. You'd almost swear that you planned that, Mr. Goldstein. Uh, no, it's a story for another day. Okay, perfect. Look, I'm keen to understand what happened since Pure Golf. Uh, I know you lived and worked in Hong Kong for a while, working for a sports marketing agency. You somehow managed to play 10 courses in Mission Hills in the same day. Mm. How did that transpire? Yeah, after my year of golf, I spent the next year, well, a lot of the next year in China, um, traveling with um, a chap called Darius Oliver, who's a good mate of mine and is now building golf courses. And uh, we were exploring China a bit of an ad hoc way and came up with the opportunity to play every course in, at the um, High Cove facility of Mission Hills in a day, which I did. It was interesting. Was it speed golf? Did you run around or how did, how did that work? We had golf carts and they cleared the way and we went through. And, uh, there's some good golf courses there, to be honest, and some of the better ones in China that I've seen. And that whole island, that whole Hainan Island, is where um, we went to the Crenshaw course. Um, and there's another couple there down there. Um, and the name's designed by uh, Weisskopf. Um, the name's forgetting it. Um, but certainly the core Crenshaw course is, is it's called Shankin Bay. It's really good, really good. One of the best golf courses in the world, probably. I've heard good things about there. So you went on then to, I think you started your own gig, the Clubhouse, which is obviously senior secured at one point an LPGA co-sanctioned event to New Zealand in the form of the McKayson New Zealand Women's Open. Or more recently, WRC Rally Stop, which is due in Auckland this coming September. What can you tell us about Rally New Zealand? Uh, what's coming to Auckland in, in September and, and, and the clubhouse itself? Yeah, the World Rally Championship. I think there was, there was talk about having an event in Northern Ireland this year, but um, it's not happening. So, yeah, the World Rally is a, is a major event, which um, I'm leading the, the New Zealand project or the New Zealand uh, event out of that championship this year. But I got into events... Pretty much after a year in China, I there was a, a new golf tournament that was set up here down here in Queenstown, and it was a pro-am style, so kind of like the Dunhill Links. And I started as a as a green golf lover. 
uh, that was 11 years ago and um, essentially with a team of people we've we've grown that event over 10 or 11 years and it's now the New Zealand Open um, and leaving COVID aside um, it's, it's becoming one of the best golf tournaments um, down here in Australasia um, and it's played not like the Dunhill has played across three courses ours has only played across two courses um, but you know, we've had some. We've been steadily increasing the quality of the field and the and the, and the prize money, and um, it's been sanctioned by the Asian Tour and the Japan Golf Tour for the last few years. So, essentially, I cut my trade on that on that tournament, um, and and through that time, I guess just grew in a bit of responsibility, um, such to the point that we then decided to take on an LPGA tournament, which was the first one ever in New Zealand so we did that in 2017 which was a lot of fun a lot of travel working with the partners in Korea and in the US um, but ultimately our partner in Korea was probably the wrong partner and our tournament was short-lived which gave me a few gray hairs at the time and a few life lessons um, but you know it was great working with the LPGA Tour and obviously Lydia Ko is you know generationally is is massive for, for New Zealand so yeah I've just kind of embarked on this career in major events and it's taken me from golf to motorsport and I'd like to stay involved in the golf tournaments but uh, it's difficult to bring these these major events down down to New Zealand we're a small country like I suppose like Ireland and um, you know it's hard to find the money to make it happen. One of the ways you are staying involved in the golf industry nonetheless is on Ron Morissette's golf magazine rating panel how has that experience been for you thus far? It's been really frustrating, if I'm being honest, Shane, because um, two months after I, I got the invitation, COVID has hit. And New Zealand has had a very, very hard border. You know, we could travel, but it's very difficult to get back. And if we do, we've had to do two weeks of quarantine. So through the entire time I've been part of that panel, it's been difficult to contribute. And hopefully that's about to change in the next our borders have, have opened in the last four weeks for those that didn't know and hopefully I'll be able to travel next month and, and start contributing again but you know I obviously love golf and I love golf design and golf architecture so I'm very privileged and grateful to be part of that panel and I'd like to really make a good contribution to it so I ask all of my guests the same final few questions so as a well travelled golfer you might let the listeners know what five courses appear on your bucket list they can be courses you've played before and want to get back to or ones that you, you've yet to visit the choice is yours Mr Goldstein oh, that's a big question and look it's a loose five so if you want to give me six or seven that's cool too yeah um, well if, if I could wake up tomorrow and play golf anywhere in the world it would be at St Andrews so I'm Fortunately, played been back there quite a few times in the last ten years, but still, you know, if I could play tomorrow, it'd be there. Um, I really want to play Japan, which I mentioned earlier, so I would refer to that one. Um, I am super keen to have a day out at Swinley Forest, um, so that's that's right up there in, in my bucket list. Um, I'd love to go to Bandon Dunes. Haven't been there but obviously a bit of a trailblazer in destination golf. So, um, yeah, I'd put that up there. And then 
I'd probably come up with a different answer every day to this question. But again, tomorrow, if I could, if I could be transported to one place to play golf, and it was not St Andrews, it'd probably be Royal Melbourne West. I absolutely adore that place. Um, it's yeah, it's premium. Have you had the opportunity to explore that particular onion in terms of its layers on a few occasions or? Yeah, after my year of golf, when I got to know Darius and before moving to China, I had spent a couple soul searching months in, in Melbourne and I didn't do too much, but I did play a lot of golf at Royal Melbourne. Um, and that was quite a formative time. Like I, I think there's one thing playing game of golf every day for a year, but there's another thing getting to know a golf course and there's a few golf courses that are pretty close to my heart now that I've got to know pretty well and one of them's Paraparam Beach which I think is definitely a world Maj- top 100 majestic. if not a yeah. world top 50 course I think it is hugely underrated and it's just a brilliant links course um, another place is Royal Melbourne West um, you know a couple places in Ireland which I've played you know, seven or eight times at the Lahinch and Dali Bunyan, which just adore them as well. Um, but it's been a few years now since I've, since I've been there. But yeah, certainly Royal Melbourne West fits in that camp. I, I think it's, I think it's absolutely world-class. I have yet to have the pleasure. I mean, I was in Australia in January 20 and it was a major amateur tournament on at the time. So yeah. I am reciprocal through Royal Dublin, but there was yeah. no chance of getting on. So it's right at the top of my list in terms of just exploring it and playing it, hopefully playing it a few times if they'll have me. But it strikes me as the pure embodiment of Mackenzie's 13 principles, essentially. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't know, for me, the first seven holes at Royal Melbourne West, just, uh, you know, it's kind of like that feeling that I was talking about before at Cypress Point. It's just, it's got everything. Um, you know, it's got that width and the ease off the first hole to get into the round. And then it's got these just cracking shots where you've got to shake the ball, you've got to use the ground. Um, you know, I just think the first seven holes at Royal Melbourne West are one of golf's absolute treasures. Um, and it gets a little bit, a little bit um, mixed from there. It's not bad, but obviously the composite course, which you see on the President's Cup, takes the very best of the property. You know, to me, the first seven holes at, at Royal Melbourne West are just unfaultable. What did yourself and Jamie make of Baron Bugle? Actually, out of out of interest, I sort of didn't uh, didn't touch on Tassie too much. Yeah, we, we played Baron Bugle right at the end of our trip, and it was again one of those penny drop moments from a golf development perspective, because obviously they did an epic job there. Like Baron Bugle, Jones, I haven't been back since twenty ten, but I know that it's awesome. Um, I think if I went back, I'd probably rate it even higher. Um, it's just natural. It's where golf should be played. And certainly when we left there, there was like, how do we do that in New Zealand? How do we create a Barbuckle Dunes in New Zealand? Um, and, you know, fortunately for Kiwis, it's kind of been done up at Tata AT and TRI. But it's just one of those developments that just, oozes golf and it's it's kind of like they just cut the grass and there's this golf course and um it's what it's all about really it just it just has that vibe in terms of it's comfortable in its own skin absolutely 
that's there for you to be enjoyed and 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 they, they cater for every whim is the wrong word but just every requirement in terms of you know the different different uh, food options the different sort of bars the different facilities etc etc and it's just the staff are just really cool and they want you to have a good time probably the best quality golf uh best like value for money golf in the world if you think about it like these golf courses are genuinely top 100 if not top 50 in the world and and it, i think it's only about 150 aussie dollars around so that's you know 70 or 80 90 euro i think it's i think it's i think it's actually 125 aussie would you believe yeah. but um Crazy. But it's, it's 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 astronomical like and and you have the added um the added adventure of bumping into roscoe the uh, golfologist behind the counter at uh, at Lost Farm or Barnbugle who uh, who tells the jokes and uh, um, he's just a sarcastic fella and I can imagine he 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 gets the the, the Americans that visit get the complete not a wrong end the stick from uh, with him if you like he tells the jokes and that's that I remember yeah. I I brought a, a letter of introduction and he goes mate you're from Ireland of course you're a fucking golfer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so that was uh that was interesting but um look i i think uh last but by no means least mr goldstein you might recommend two golf books that you would uh suggest for our listeners they can be on any topic in golf architecture history or anything else yeah you did give me a heads up on that one i'm looking at both of them in on my bookcase um so I'll say the spirit of St Andrews, which I think every every golf architect should give it to their clients before they start working with them. I think it's a brilliant, uh, brilliant book. Um, and the other one for me is Golf in the Kingdom, which is a different take, but it's you know it's about spirituality and golf. And um, for me, I know that that's a a book that some people love and some people could take or leave but you know for me i just uh, that book kind of really touches me in the right you know in the right way so uh must read if you're into golf and spirituality that's written by michael shiva siren is the one isn't it yeah that's it i think it's michael murphy golf in the kingdom yeah i've heard of it i've not i've not read it michael before we let you go you might tell people where they can find you should they wish to reach out for anything in particular where are they going to find me uh, my email I'll just put it I'll give it to you and that you can put it on your blog Grant yeah okay no yeah. problem Michael it's been an absolute pleasure taking you down this memory lane trip uh, for the retrospective look at Pure Golf 2010 and what you've been at since I really enjoyed the chat and many thanks for your time thanks Shane yeah it's been it's been great to talk many thanks for tuning in As usual, you can find us online at firmandfast.golf or on Twitter at firmandfastgolf. Please continue to like, subscribe and comment. It really is appreciated. Until the next time, happy golfing.